So what do you do when you are a scientist and an engineer and you have all these patents and lasers and optics and all that kind of stuff and you're building all kinds of things with acronyms for IBM worldwide and you're running around the world and you're your firstborn has been on a plane 13 times the first year and your husband's in DC and then your division gets sold and you're told you have to go to Rochester, New York and live there. So what are you going to do? You're probably going to say to each other, you and your partner, somebody has to opt out here. And that's what Candace Friedenberg came up with is, okay, this is, I'm going to be the one that opt out uh, for a while terrifically successful engineer. And she stayed out for a good segment of time. I think it was about 12 years, she said. And then what happens when you decide you want to get back in? Yes, she did all the crazy data mining for events at school. She created all kinds of technological things for her local school when she was, you know, helping out as a parent there. Um, but she decided that it was time to help other women do what she did, which was to plug back in, in a way that made sense and that could get them a career that they wanted and the kind of satisfaction that they wanted. And so she created Untapped Potential Inc. And it's been a really interesting, very different kind of uh, journey for her and she's here to talk to us about it and it she's done, put she said over 70 people back into work and in different types of businesses and in different manners that are a lot more meaning to them than meaningful to them than perhaps in the past so i want to welcome candace friedenberg so Candace, welcome. I'm so glad that we are speaking today in particular. Boy, what you are doing now is so important to the world, so I can't wait to get at it. Thank you for having me, Leslie. So let's talk a little bit about your history and where you came from. First of all, I always like to find out where did you grow up and what the heck did your parents do and why did you end up doing what you did to start with? <laughs> Interesting. Where I grew up is where I am right now. I am uh, five minutes from my hometown, my my home in Canton, Connecticut. So I'm back in Canton. Uh, we pivoted back here when our children, when our oldest was five. Um, as far as you know, what my parents did. Uh, my father was an electrical engineer for the power company. You know, thirty year plus retirement, um, and my mother was really an artist while I was growing up. Um, and I've learned so much more about her um, during the launch of my business um, because uh, she actually pivoted and went to college when I went to college and uh, had a graphic arts degree and then pivoted, you know, after word came out and went in to learn um, really uh, flash programming and IT programming and ended up uh, retiring from the state judicial branch in their IT department. Uh, and I'll highlight as an artist, she taught dance in our home. So I was a dancer. She taught um, uh, ballet, dance, everything um, as a private business owner. So she was an accomplished business owner, you know, while she was raising her kids. So you have a little bit of reinvention in your blood, right? <laughs> I think that 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 is the case. 
So talk a little bit about what kind of scientist and engineer you were, um, what led you to that, and then we'll talk about what you're doing now. Um, well, definitely, um, I uh, had more of the engineering, my dad's side versus the artistic side of my mom, and my two sisters got the artistic side. So I knew I was an engineer, I knew I was good in math, or I was told in good, I was good in math. And uh, again, looking back, that could be all relative compared to others and what they tell girls they're good at versus what boys are good at. But I went into optical engineering, which is, uh, you know, the science of light. Uh, lasers and optics. And at that time frame, lasers had only been invented uh, for about 10 years prior. So really it was a cutting edge. And there were only two universities in the country that I believe still offer that undergraduate degree in uh, optical engineering or lasers and optics. So that's what you did? You studied and developed lasers? And you have uh, patents in lasers? Is that what it is? Uh, yes, it is. Um, I, my, coming out of college, I got a job at a Fortune 6 company, IBM at the time. And it was, um, you know, we were, I, I was given the task of developing lens systems, systems for um, excimer lasers. And I didn't even know what the word excimer was, um, but we developed um, laser systems for all of IBM's manufacturing lines worldwide optical systems to one of my patents is on a lens that did uh, remote imaging of surface mount technology used in semiconductor build. And it is um, now a growth field around uh, machine vision and robotics. Uh, interestingly, I was hired um, with a with a part, uh, a fellow that graduated the same time as me, and we were hired to uh, pick the brain of the 43-year-old experienced optical engineer that was about to retire. Uh, he had educated himself in optics and um, was serving all of manufacturing worldwide. So it was a great experience to learn a lot of different angles of optics and soak up as much information as fast as possible. Okay, and how many years did you do this for? Give us a little bit of an idea. And were you, did you leave and stay home for a bit? Because I know you said you're, you're very concerned with that cohort too. So explain. Definitely. Um, I actually, um, while I was deep in the sciences, um, I also had a, a business mind and ended up getting my MBA. Um, I launched businesses within IBM, um, co-founded uh, Optical Development Services with the fellow that I was hired with, and um, ended up going into worldwide uh, sales at, at IBM and doing a lot of engineering consulting on the manufacturing floor. Uh, further got a, a certificate in manufacturing systems, and then I pivoted to one of our clients, um, Eastman Kodak. So I uh, was brought on to do program management around uh, pulling together their historical siloed optics, electrics, and mechanical, and was more in a program management role. And in that, uh, those times, I think it added up to be about 15 years, um, I was in the state-of-the-art of Earth Imagery Online, camera and phone technology, launching the smallest camera lens form factor within Palm Pilots and uh, Motorola with Motorola chips and Motorola flip phones. All of this was years prior to, uh, you know, the iPhone that we know and love today with the camera and phone and all technologies. So I was at the forefront uh, commercialization manager of uh, those integrated optical systems. Um, so I had that career. I was um, really working um, at that time. Uh, at the time, I opted out. Um, 
And yes, I'm passionate about that demographic that opted out, but I was doing um, earth imagery online for the uh, Australia, Italy, Canada, and the top 85 cities of the US um, with earth imagery data that was highly technical data, but available for search, select, and buy. And that was at the time frame of the dot-com boom. And we were one of the first uh, entities at Kodak and possibly worldwide that did a uh, seller of record taking into account tariffs, taxes, and shipping from all those city locations. And so why did you opt out and how long were you out for? Tell us uh, a little of your story. Interesting. Um, so, you know, I, I always give the logistics that were going on when I opted out, but um, really I want to, and it's hard to say, but I wanted to be the parent of my own children. And one of the reasons why I soaked up so much information while I was at IBM and took on so many projects is I grew up in a time and with my mother in it as an example, she really longed to be a mother. That was her career that she really wanted. And, um, you know, I wanted, I knew I had this short time as an engineer and I wanted to do as much as possible because I viewed at some point I would be a parent, but really it was a culmination. And when I look and hear women's stories so often, I hear, um, you know, their justification for why it didn't work for them and why they couldn't keep up this um, super hero cape in corporate America and the superhero cape as a mom, and they feel like a failure. And I have, you know, the logistics of the story as well. You know, Kodak uh, decided to sell our division to ITT. And at the time I had, you know, worked out cause I was covering so many different time zones and my husband had pivoted to another role after we had our first child. I was working remotely, had an office in, near the Pentagon in, in DC, but was often headed to Rochester, headed to um, Canada. Um, my daughter had um, flown eight times in her first, 13 times in her first year of life. And I had been to Canada eight times because we had acquired a, a company there that did uh, the image acquisition. And um, they sold that division to ITT, said I got had to move back to um, Rochester where the acquisition was happening. And there was, no way I could, my husband was serving the, the Naval Air Command in a consulting role for his company. And we had two children and one on the way. And I couldn't pick up everybody and move. And we had actually already put money down and were planning to move close to my parents. And uh, he was going to pivot more to the aerospace industry. And uh, it, it logistically, I thought I had it planned where I could keep telecommuting and move wherever and it, it didn't work out. There was an opportunity for me to uh, get clearances and work in the skiffs in DC because it was a uh, codex commercial and government division that I was in and they were encouraging me to do that. I started the applications and it really made no sense. I would have been having to commute for two hours each way, hire someone to care for my children and get cars for them because I couldn't be two hours away with the car and it just seemed to be illogical. And uh, prior to that, my husband was saying to me, we can't keep this up with your travel and my travel. I'm about to start traveling a lot more. One of us needs to opt out, either you or me. So we kind of made that decision. And it's unfortunate that I had to go cold turkey. I couldn't just keep up something and be professional in a capacity. So that was really my, my story of how I pivoted from a scientist, engineer, you know, innovative program manager and, and um, 
to a stay-at-home mom, which now I look back and think it could be or should be a valuable step in someone's career path. Interesting. I can even hear when you're talking how there's like explanation, you know, and men, I can't imagine a man having to say when this happened, that happened. And then my husband said, you know, it's like, we always have to justify all of those decisions that we make because that we have been so judged, I think, by how we proceed with this stuff. And it's the two collide and it, it doesn't work for everybody. And so it makes a lot of sense. How long were you out for? Um, I was out technically for 15 years. And did you do any freelance or you were just super mom? <laughs> I, I would like to say I was, um, you know, there's definitely things I got involved with. Uh, and I uh, was crazy super mom with regard to, um, you know, those PTO fundraisers where they asked me to help with the data and I ended up, you know, creating what is uh, now bidding for good and we converted it to our system to bidding for good, but mine was ex- an Excel system in, um, in, on Google Drive where I uh, lured many um, volunteers to program this and program that all, you know, from different companies, bring LAN networks so we could set up a, a search, select and buy and check out within 15 minutes for 900 people. So I applied my technical skills in ways that were probably unusual as a PTO mom. But um, I, uh, you know, had times where I was um, delivering energy. I got on the kick of, you know, the green schools and greening our schools and uh, developing uh, team, you know, student leaders in the green space. And uh, that kind of dovetailed into me being more active in networking with professionals. And I think that's a critical stepping stone for women getting back to work. So talk a little bit about that, because we do talk a lot about relaunching, um, and I've talked to an awful lot of people in that space about how that's done. Talk a little bit about what you've seen and how hard or easy that was, and when was that that you were relaunching? What was the time zone? Um, I, I really was in that, it was probably two thir- 2013, so while it was something I was doing with a a partner who actually has a a significant uh, career in the green space. She's the City University of New York's um, uh, energy advisor or something. I'm sorry, I don't know the title, but um, really um, we were looking at how to, uh, how not only putting solar panels on our house and things that we did, but how could we impact the environment in a bigger way? And schools is one way you can do that. That was around 2013. So really it was nine years that I was, you know, not active in the workplace. Um, But as far as relaunching, um, you know, when I had kind of this idea of um, how, the corporations and businesses, as well as our GDP, are really missing out on this human capital that is educated professional women that aren't fitting into the industrial age nine to five. Everybody has a spouse at home supporting them, um, you know, and women feel they can't uh, participate in their guru careers that they had prior. Um, we're missing out on that human capital, and it's invested human capital, you know 
uh, from an economic perspective, we are trying to educate our kids today so that they can be productive citizens. Yet those women that were educated eight to 13 years ago are valuable and we're not treating like them like they're valuable. So my goal in launching women and making that more seamless and easier uh, for them to get back to their caliber is to engage though in what I call kind of micro ways, whether it's a ladies night out where you, in a, you meet mentors in your industry field, or um, you know while you're still primarily focused on family, but take a course uh, for a certification in something that aligns with what you'd like to do in the future. And then lastly, we've created these mid-career internships that are really 20 hours a week so that they can still be the primary parent. And we curate those roles um, at corporations, startups, and nonprofits so that they can start to brush off those um, rusty skills, improve their skills, and uh, really find their passion in a, in a flexible way. So is that primarily what you're doing? Is that the, is yes. that the untapped potential ink? Yes, I've, I've launched a venture. It actually started as a nonprofit and then uh, through the SBA encouraging um, Innovate Her, uh, innovations around uh, solving this problem of 31 million women in the workforce trying to deliver to both angles what they're family needs and what corporate America needs. Um, and I wanted to submit this idea for that competition and you had to be a business. So I converted to a social enterprise or a benefit corp. And uh, really uh, the idea is to engage women during their opt out years and also to value the path that they've chosen. I think women get a lot of um, pushback of, you know, you are not um, career oriented anymore because you chose the path of parenting. And we want to change that stigma. So how do you do that? What is, and are you working mostly with relaunchers or is it everybody? Um, we actually um, state that we serve you know, educated professionals that opted out for caregiving or other reasons. So they might have a gap for other reasons, um, and it could be male or female, depending on who opted out. And often today, people are opting out for caregiving um, for elders. So we see a variety of people, and we also see very high caliber women that are in the peak of their career, yet they're in what has been termed the messy middle. They have a three and a five-year-old and working 70 hours a week doesn't make sense, and they want something flexible. They don't want to go cold, cold turkey like I had to do. They want to uh, step back and do even 40 hours a week or uh, of something with some flexibility where they're still at their caliber. So we curate roles with corporations, um, startups, a great number of startups benefit from us before they're ready to make their first hire, and then also nonprofits. And we um, develop those roles based on a business need and match them to the candidates so they can add value in a flexible way. So some of them have current skills. Some need to skill up because like me, they opted out for a number of years. And yes, technology has changed, but we try to make um, them aware of a lot of the terminology, take short courses. So they're coming back to the workforce market ready. What is the thing that you find stands in the way today? Is it the, is it the technological skills? Because that 
was something um, when I, you know, when I was an editor in chief of various magazines, one of the good things about publishing, and we used to talk about this back in the 80s and 90s, was we talked about the porous workforce, which meant that you could move in and move out fairly much with impunity. If, as long as you weren't out for more than two or three years, it was acceptable. And then, of course, all that changed. And I think what changed it was technology, is that if you step out for two or three years today, the technology you walk back into is totally different, and no one's there to teach it to you. And it's one of the things they also hold against um, people who are slightly older. So do you see that as one of the major barriers, or what do you see? Uh, I see... Um I love the word porous that you used, and I wish the workforce, and maybe that's something we can change it to be in the future. I see technology as what I'll call a named barrier. It is um, highly visible. It's what companies are going to hold you back from entering in their workforce. But technology is the leverage that we can use to educate seamlessly back to their caliber and also let them demonstrate skills. Technology is how we can vet people to see whether they're high caliber communicators, things of that nature. So we actually um, seek out companies first and foremost, what do they see as growth fields and what can we educate women in to get them up to speed? Um, so we're always working on that skill up portion um, so that women have the vernacular. And I would highlight that after a, someone, a candidate's done a flex return and skilled up in what local entities have said, this is what we want more of, data analytics, agile, and scrum. Once we've um, held courses for them in those capacities that we connect with best of breed providers for, um, our candidates are coming in mature, having experience at one or two corporate America entities, and they're coming back with more currency than those companies might have in their seats doing the day-to-day -day in the silo of the one company. So I think that while it is a barrier and a named barrier, I would highlight two other barriers um, more so than technology. One is really that bias of what people perceive a stay-at-home mom is. And again, we all grew up in a time frame of possibly having a, a full-time mom at home. Um, so we have this image of our moms versus the moms that went to college with you, got degrees, were, were equally competitive, you know, in getting internships, getting uh, roles in all or nothing fields. And it's really those higher caliber all or nothing fields. You're either on the bus or you're off the bus, whether it's law, uh, consulting that requires travel. Those that hired the best candidates out of our elite universities were the first ones to push them off the bus. And many of those entities, banking that are 100 hours a week, realize now that they have a, what McKinsey highlights, the leaky pipeline, and that they don't have a strong um, gender equity in those senior management roles and are offering programs to bring them in themselves. What Untap Potential does is try to serve a, a city or a town with our um, networking support, our uh, professional development of women, our skill development of women, and then uh, launch these benevolent kind of mid-career internships where we they're hosted and uh, the, both the mentor that hosts them and the candidate um, know that there's a time period where they're going to come back up to speed. Where I say the barriers is that bias, even though maybe the top people in companies 
say, well, we want diversity. We want to increase women in, in senior roles. In fact, HR managers and business unit managers might have uh, key metrics on their uh, performance um, targets for increasing number of women in senior roles. It's at the top levels, but they're the new job board systems, the AI applied to those job board systems, the keyword search automatically leaves women out. And I would say even those first defenders in uh, applying for a role, whether it's um, recruiters that are inexperienced in um, the different professions they're hiring for and don't realize that if you implemented SAP 10 years ago, you likely could, you know, in your accounting finance role, you could deal with QuickBooks. You know, the, the fact that if you don't have QuickBooks as a keyword, you can't uh, fulfill the role is probably a misnomer, but they don't understand those idiosyncrasies. I think those barriers, those new barriers that really are a technological advancement cause this demographic to be left out. Wow. So explain exactly what you offer on your site. If women who are listening to this think, oh, okay, this is what I need, um, what do they do and how do they sign up with you? Uh, they can simply go to upotential.org. And uh, really, we offer a number of ways to the, for them to engage, whether it's a telecon uh, we had monthly coffees that now have become uh, monthly Zooms. And uh, we want them to add a professional aspect to their weekly or monthly or quarterly routine. And um, we do a number of um, kind of stepping stones to get them from point A to point B, whether it's um, our mentor mingles that happen quarterly, where amazing uh, women in industry and even men in industry offer their time to attend our events and hear our candidates elevator pitches which we practice with them and a lot of it is that confidence level that women have um, I, we almost have like two camps some that really want to engage in the workforce but they aren't um, don't feel they have the check in the boxes that the requisitions on the job board system are asking for so in that case we step them up with the critical skills they may need uh, really um, it's, a, it's an incremental approach, um, and we kind of have a return to work framework that they follow and get them to the point where we can represent them to companies, but all the while we are um, encouraging them to use networking techniques and uh, support them in that professional representation of themselves. Um, many of them have been in their um, mom world and have a tremendous mom network but they even if those uh people they know from shuttling their kids back and forth to hockey or um, soccer they don't speak about themselves professionally so we want to get that jargon back into their uh, routine and they can do that in a safe environment with untapped potential um, the really uh, rubber meets the road where one untapped potential makes a big difference compared to other firms that offer kind of that coaching support and uh, steps to polish your resume, we curate mid-career internships. So we're continuing to grow our client list and work with companies to define uh, a role that uh, allows someone to come in and uh, add value in a professional way. And the goal is obviously for them to land in that role or figure out what they want to move in the direction next for. So that's our flex return product.
So how many women do you think you've put through your program so far and found jobs for? Um, we've done about 70 engagements. And uh, through that, you know, we serve, I don't know, we have probably a thousand on our, our distribution list and over 200 attending events and really stepping up and launching on their own. So we cheer them on and um, they come back and share their story, share what untapped potential uh, activities, whether it's working on your elevator pitch or contacting two clients in their network in a professional way, um, what helps them get that ball rolling. And um, as a uh, physicist, if you will, I, I uh, use, um, you know, the, the law of, you know, an object in motion stays in motion, an object at rest stays at rest. And many women say, I'm going to go back uh, you know, when my kids are this age or that age, but really overcoming that uh, friction to get there is difficult. And we try to, uh, you know, remove that barrier of friction to get them launched and rolling. What do you think is going to happen now with this idea after the pandemic? What do you see changing? Have you sensed any changes? Is it going to get harder for women to find these internships? Is it going to affect everybody or are you in a waiting pattern? I would love to say, well, two things. One, we were able to hold our signature event and I maybe didn't highlight this, but we host a speed interview event, which historically has been live. It certainly could be done virtual. And we really uh, let companies highlight how they want to support this demographic and share the roles that they may have in a flexible way. And then candidates get to interview with 20 uh, companies within the two hour and a half span. Um, that happened on March 5th, prior to the shutting down of um, COVID-19. And we were able to launch seven candidates um, out of that uh, speed interview events. And many of them went virtual first. So they interviewed um, they had their second interviews via Zoom and they launched and are working virtually out of the home. Moving forward, I'd love to say that companies would be smarter to work with our experienced, mature, and skilled up talent because um, we're bringing them high quality talent in a flexible way and it's a low risk. Through our flex return, it's a cost advantage as well as a low risk. Um, but Truly, given that we have tens of millions of people unemployed, it was difficult to compete and get in the door at companies uh, against someone with current skills versus someone that has a three to five year gap prior to COVID-19. You know, if companies don't realize that advantage of our candidates, you know, having maturity, uh, having the real, really the skills that companies are saying they need now, emotional intelligence, the ability to, you know, multitask and observe all participants and making sure we're striving towards those incremental goals. And, and women have, women, especially moms that have run families, have the ability to sense what's the barrier and get ahead of it beforehand. Um, and great project managers, you know, if companies don't realize those values and our method for, you know, kind of um, making the right match with the right person, um, we're going to have a tougher challenge um, with right now the numbers of unemployed. Do you have any data yet or is it still too early? 
Um, I think it, it is still too early. I mean, I'm still hopeful that, um, you know, as we open up and um, things will get back to normal fairly quickly. But one thing I would say is, you know, we're not just waiting to see what will happen. Um, Untapped Potential um, has such uh, tremendous talent. And when they work together, they're really able to make uh, things happen fairly quickly. And we're pivoting to in-demand uh, skills like we have in the past, whether it's data analytics um, and other fields that companies tell us they need. Um, but we're also, you know, working on um, what COVID-19 has uh, shared. So we have people training in uh, the tracing um, aspects. We have people uh, preparing to support uh, those that are coming up with the vaccines and the solutions. So the biotech in Connecticut is fairly strong. And so we're seeking out roles that are going to be growth roles and trying to get the talent positioned to add value in those industries as fast as possible. Awesome. This is amazing. So in closing, what would you like to tell women who are thinking of doing what you did? Um, I guess relaunching from, you know, their original business and changing direction. What are the, are there three tips and tricks, maybe starting their own business the way you did instead of going back into um, corporate life? Or what would you tell them? People like me, basically, or you, who are, are saying, okay, well, how do I do what she did? Well, I definitely, um, whenever we do an initial inquiry and we have a team that does this initial inquiry with our candidates, we really look at the big picture, the future 20 to 30 years of your career and what would align best with your strengths and talents and the things you love to do. You know, you have an opportunity to reinvent yourself for that second stage career. And we ask a lot of unique questions that um, understand how they enjoy spending their time so that they align with what would be not considered work, but they're adding value to uh, our uh, economy. And um, yes, we consider women entrepreneurship. It's a growth field. We also look to franchising where you're you know, leveraging another entity's business, but you're getting that flexibility you need so you can engage with your family. Angel investing is another field that women that have an MBA and the ability to measure um, future uh, viability of a company can really make a difference, especially on women-owned businesses and make an impact. Um, most of the women that we interview uh, really have that idea of, you know, yes, I did A, B, and C prior to kids, but now I've learned so much more and I really want to make a difference. And we work to help align that difference um, and the, the objective they want to go towards um, with what we know about industry um, in talking to companies, startups, as well as nonprofits and align them with their passion. So my thought is, A, think about your passion. Think about what you want to add value to, which, where it won't seem like work, but it will seem like your life's work and what you want to kind of be known for in your obituary, if you will. We know women are going to live 10 years or X years longer than their spouses, historically, if that history holds true. And really, you want to be doing something for yourself during this stage. And it may take a couple pivots 
to reinvent yourself to where you want to be. And women understand that, you know, they need to pay their dues the first few years in something new. Um, but we really value the, the sk life skills and the ed education and experience that they have. And um, we also want them to reflect on the time that they're prioritizing raising their children and understand that that has significant value for our next generation and our nation. So we want to commend them for that. And we're always making them feel good about that decision. Yeah, I guess I never understood this idea of like giving no, giving women who are the only producers of the race <laughs> no no kudos for doing it while they're doing everything else. It's like, okay, what if we stop doing this? There is no future. <laughs> like, it's right. like the value is immense and it isn't quantified. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unpaid work, but it's also uh, looked down upon. And I know that was probably necessary in order for women to have equality, to compete as doctors and lawyers and things that we glorify. Um, but I think every aspect caregiving today with the COVID-19, it is so apparent that we need to value our caregivers, um, no matter what stage they're doing and um, caregiving of the next generation from a human development, a brain development is so critical that we value that role in our society. Well, on that, I think that's a great place for us to end. Thank you so much, Candace. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you do for women. It's wonderful to hear. I love the pivot. I love the fact that you were able to go in a totally different direction. And I agree that I hear a lot of women say that what they want to do is find something that has more meaning. And there you are. Look at all the meaning that you've supplied, which is fantastic. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Leslie. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Candace Friedenberg. And I love the fact that she lived the life herself of an opt-outer and an opt-inner. And for those of you going through it, the good news is it has been done before. And she also is able to talk to us about the future and looking at the new types of businesses where women will be able to opt back in. And I love her perspective coming from, you know, she's attacking it the same way um, that she would have attacked anything in engineering um, by looking at data. And she's doing it very differently than other people, which is wonderful. So if you enjoyed this conversation with Candace, I hope that you will subscribe to Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. And I hope you'll come over and check out CoveyClub.com. We are rocking it right now. We have got so many great opportunities for you to learn about reinvention and then about everything else too. It could be how to uh, jazz up your LinkedIn page from LinkedIn experts. It could be um, health advice from top health experts. It could be how to create your own personal brand. We are just out there killing it with short, helpful um, events where you are always gonna learn something. So come over to coveyclub.com, join us there, join Covey Connect where you can connect with women just like yourself and like Candace, who are interesting, who are smart, who are reinventing themselves every day and taking the most out of life and never saying no and just keep going. Thanks for joining us.